Our scripture this morning is Luke 22, verses 55 through 62. For background, uh, Jesus has just been arrested by the chief priests, the captains of the, of the temple, and the elders. And Peter tried to stop them, but now he's following at a distance. Starting in verse 55. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are also of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. It is good to be together with you and to worship with you, uh, singing and then praying together and participating in the Lord's Supper. It's just a wonderful thing to experience being together with brothers and sisters and having the freedom to do what we've been doing. I don't know if you all know what aha moments are. Aha moments. Um, those, those moments when we realize something. We have other phrases uh, that, that, that describe that, that feeling or that moment. We might say, well, it just came to me. Aha. Or it just clicked. Or a light bulb came on. Or I just saw the light. I just realized just popped into my head, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, or it struck me. It finally made sense, or it dawned on me. An aha moment can be a small, medium, large, huge, or whatever. It, it could be a small moment. You, you've been working a puzzle for a while, and you've had this one little piece, and you finally find where it fits, and say, aha, I found it. You uh, might be trying to work on the car and you figure out, I don't know how big of an aha moment this is, but you're trying to figure out where the part goes, how it fits, and then it just snaps in there and, and because you had an aha moment. could be a little, little bigger aha moment trying to figure out how to set up your smartphone. I don't know, that's tough for me um, sometimes. But once you get it, you say, aha, once you realize. Or it could be a huge, life-changing aha moment when you realize that you are an unforgiven sinner and, you're, and you've learned what you need to do and it hits you and you just exclaim, aha, now I know what I need to do. I've warned Amy that I would talk about her, but I just warned her like, I don't know, five minutes ago. I forgot to ask her permission to tell this story, but it was one of the biggest aha moments that I've, that I've ever had. When we were at Oklahoma Christian University when, in Edmond, Oklahoma, how, how many years ago? 28 or 9, 28, 7 years ago. I won't tell how old you You were like 14, 13 at that time. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm probably already in trouble. And one of my friend's parents saw me at a barbershop, the, the dad did, and he said, would you like to come to a Bible study tonight? Uh, I said, yes. I'd only been a Christian for a couple of years, and so I took Amy along with me. 
I don't even know if we are officially dating at that point. Uh, no. Hey, Amy, come up here and help me because... So we weren't officially dating, but we went to this Bible study. And, and they were teaching things that were scripturally incorrect. I was confused. I was discombobulated. And I was wondering what was going on. But Amy wasn't confused. She knew what was going on. She realized that things were incorrect. And she realized and then she confronted them. She confronted them. An 18-year-old young woman, she went toe-to-toe with the people in their mid-50s, backing up her well-articulated arguments with Scripture. And I just sat there and watched and was thoroughly impressed. And that was a huge aha moment because I've always been attracted to very intelligent women not other women now, just this one intelligent woman. But that was an aha moment, and I realized I want to spend as much time with this person as possible. She's a brilliant young woman, and she continues to be brilliant. Aha moments. On the other hand, there are uh-oh moments. Uh-oh moments. They are when we realize that we just made a mistake. Several years ago, I had a book called Sniglets. And a sniglet is a word that doesn't exist but should, and it describes things uh, that, that we don't have words for. Like, this is one of them that was in the book, Ignisecond. Ignisecond. That moment in time where you let go of the car door and realize that the keys are in the car. It's an ignisecond. And so we came up with a few others There's that weren't around then. The phonograb. And you know what this is. Your, your phone's falling and you don't want it to break or fall into the toilet. And you're reaching for it in a futile manner and it falls wherever it falls. A phonograb. Or a tongue-ret, a regret that you just have because your tongue made a mistake. Some are huge. Some are huge uh-oh moments. And we're going to look at a huge uh-oh moment found in the New Testament. And that's the Apostle Peter's denial of Jesus. And I want to talk about the Apostle Peter for, for a few moments and his uh-oh moment. Kevin just read about the rooster crowing, and it, and I was thinking about the rooster crowing, and then this phrase that we have, it dawned on me, a rooster crows at dawn, not that it was crowing at, at dawn in this instance, but it dawned on me, and it dawned on Peter what he had just done. So we're going to talk about Peter's rooster, and then we're going to talk about our roosters that we hear. You know, you think about Peter, and... Um, we're really hard on him. Really hard on that apostle. We're hard on Judas, and, and rightly so. He, 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 he betrayed Christ. We're, we're kind of hard on Thomas, and I don't know if we should be necessarily, but we are hard, hard on Thomas because he doubted. But when we think of Peter, what might come to mind first Yes, he's an apostle. He, he, he spoke off the cuff so many times, just, just without thinking, it seemed like. But he's 
infamously known for what? What's the first thing we have in our mind? You know, it's not that 3,000 people were baptized into Christ after he preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it's not that he won the very first Gentile convert to Christ when Cornelius and his household were baptized in Acts chapter 10. And it's not the fact that through the power of God, he brings Tabitha or Dorcas back to life in, in Acts chapter 9. And it's not even the fact that he wrote New Testament books. This man did. No. When we think of Peter, the very first thing that most likely comes to mind is his failure. He was the one who denied Christ. He was the one. And I don't know if you can imagine, just think about, if all of your achievements, all of your successes, all of your victories, all of the good things you've ever done was overshadowed by that moment of failure. You know, Peter had some great qualities about him, some great qualities, and Jesus saw these uh, in him. And we can see him as well as we read about him and read about uh, his strengths. Peter was decisive, and it was very admirable. When Jesus came along, and Peter is a fisherman, and, and Jesus invites him to follow him, Peter just drops everything that he's doing, just leaves his livelihood, leaves where his comfort zone. He's decisive, and that's very impressive to me. Peter was also a wholehearted man. And when I say wholehearted, the definition of wholehearted, completely and sincerely devoted, Peter was that. Determined, absolutely. Enthusiastic, very much so. Marked by complete earnest commitment. Yes, free from all reserve or hesitation. You know, if you've studied about Peter, you know that that describes him. That describes him. He was wholehearted. No matter what the circumstance, he never wondered about his commitment or loyalty. He, he always knew that he was 100% for Jesus, 100% behind Jesus, 100% with Jesus. He was also perceptive. He figured some things out that other people didn't seem to figure out. You know, in John 6, a multitude of disciples permanently leaves Jesus because they disagreed with, with his teaching. And then Jesus turns to the other 12 and, and asks if they too were leaving him. Peter replies in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? And listen to his perception, how perceptive he is. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. Very perceptive, and, and rightly so. I mean, he sees this, he knows this, and he, and, he, and he says this. And so in Matthew 16, 16, of all the 12, Peter knows he confessed Jesus as the Christ. It's an incredible thing. He's perceptive. He realizes who he's dealing with and who Jesus is. Jesus, Peter was a loyal man as well. Jesus had, he was openly to committed. He was totally committed. And no one was more so, seemingly so, than Peter. So Jesus sees all these qualities in Peter and, and, he, 
and he makes Peter one of his inner, inner three disciples. And he takes him on special uh, trips or he takes him with him on special occasions like 928 of Luke. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And he, he and Jesus is changed and Peter is there because he had the privilege of being with Jesus and I believe it's based on Jesus seeing the qualities in him that we've been talk to, talking about. In Matthew 26, 36 through 37, 36 and 37, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So Kevin just read about the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus goes there with the disciples. But then he goes further and he takes Three people with him, and Peter is one of them. In 37, he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, but Peter is there. Jesus sees something in Peter, and we know that because Acts chapter 2, Peter has been restored. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But Acts chapter 2, Peter is the one given the privilege to preach the gospel to the Jews and he has the privilege of talking about Christ and watching the church begin. In Acts chapter 10, he uses, God uses the Jewish Peter to preach to the Gentiles the gospel of Christ. And so there are so many good qualities about Peter. And we know that, yes, he made mistakes. At one point, Jesus had to rebuke him, get behind me, Satan, and, and we understand that. We know that. We don't have much time to go over those things. We just don't have much time to talk about the other great qualities he has. But he was a person. I believe that, it, that if you ask Peter, if you, if you were able to interview him, and you asked him, Peter, is there anything that would make you fall, that would make you turn your back on Christ, would make you make huge enough mistakes that you feel disconnected from Christ. And I believe if you were ask him, if you were to ask him that, I believe that he would say absolutely nothing would ever make me turn my back on Jesus. Nothing would do that. And yet it happens. If you talk to him, can, can you and ask, can you imagine you disconnecting yourself from Christ? No, not at all. Because he's committed. He's wholeheartedly committed. He's wholeheartedly loyal. And yet it happens. You know, Jesus told Peter that it's going to happen in Matthew 26, Luke 22, and Mark 14. He tells him. And not only does he tell him that it's going to happen, he tells him how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And the way that it's going to go down. And so we read Luke 22, 54 through 62. I want to look at that again. As Kevin mentioned, Jesus is arrested. And now Peter's following at a distance. Why? He doesn't want to be connected to Christ, to Jesus. He doesn't want to be grouped with him. And now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard, Peter sits down among them. Among who? Among the people who want to see Jesus destroyed. He's with them. 
And that servant girl sees him and says, says to him, or says, this man was also with him. Peter denies her, denies that. Woman, I don't, I don't know him. I, I don't. So that's his first accusation and his first denial. And then it happens again. It's a man this time. You are of them. Peter says, man, I'm not. His second accusation, his second denial of Christ. After about an hour, as we read, another, noticed, confidently affirmed, saw him and said, yes, that is him. I can identify him. I've seen him. That is him, confidently. The third denial after the third accusation, I do not know what you're saying. And this is where Peter has the biggest uh-oh moment of his life. And it'll change his life forever. And the third time that he denies Christ, a rooster crowed. <laughs> and it dawned on him, you might say. The rooster crows and it dawned on him that he did, had done exactly what he said he would never do. Exactly what he thought he couldn't imagine. He, couldn't, he would never do. He did. Um, and notice in Lucas, well, when he did it and the rooster crows, what did he do? And I just can't imagine how difficult this would be. He, he and Jesus make eye contact. Now, I was thinking about this. What's Jesus going through? He's, he's, he's not being treated well. Peter's there. He has to have seen this. If he can make eye contact with Jesus, then he's seen what's being done to Jesus. And yet he still denies him. Maybe he's afraid that it might be done to him as well. But he makes eye contact. And that breaks him. That breaks him. The rooster crows. It dawns on him what he's done. It breaks him. And so he leaves and he breaks down. Not only is he broken, but he breaks down. That's his response. And, and, and I believe it's, it's the correct response in that situation. Rooster crows. He has the uh-oh moment. He, it dawns on him what, what he has just done. And it breaks him and he breaks. That is the correct response response to him realizing just what he had done. That's his rooster. And so we're going to talk for a few moments about our roosters and when we hear them and what our reaction is when we do. Because there have been times for us and there will be times when we deny Jesus Deny Christ. Now, 1 John 1.8 says, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We will sin. We will fall. We have and we will. And we deny Christ <laughs> and, and by doing things 
that if you had asked us before we had done it, would you ever do this? Our response would be never. We get ourselves into situations we never in our life imagined that we could be, and we find ourselves in those situations, and, we're, and we deny that we know Jesus, that we're part of it. We disconnect ourselves. And our rooster finally crows, and it finally dawns on us, and we finally realize and accept what we've done, to whom we've done it, and we look in... Figuratively, we look into the eyes of Christ. We've learned about him. We know him. We've experienced him. We've, we've committed our lives to him. And then we've disconnected ourselves. And we look into the eyes of Christ based on our knowledge and what we've known. And then hopefully, hopefully we hear the rooster. We make the contact, eye contact. And then we have our huge and tragic uh-oh moment. So, that happens. We've done it. We've realized it. What's our response? What's our response? Hopefully, we're broken. Hopefully, it breaks us. It's not a fun state to be broken, but that's when we are at our spiritual best when we're broken. Hopefully we will break at that moment. Hopefully we will weep at that moment because we are broken. Hopefully that will motivate us to repent at that moment. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow, which is what I'm talking about experiencing, produces repentance, leads to salvation, not to be regretted. That godly sorrow that we feel when the rooster crows, our heart breaks, that should lead us to want to change. And that change will lead us to salvation. When we, when we hear the rooster, it dawns on us what we've done. We have that uh-oh moment. We're broken. Hopefully, like Peter, we will let Jesus put us back together again. Why would I say that? We have scripture like Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. That's the description of Peter, isn't it? It's a description, hopefully, of us when we hear the rooster and we realize what we've done. Peter was restored. I've mentioned that. And then he spent his life doing amazing things in the name of Christ. Amazing things in the name of Christ. In John 21, yeah, I'll give you a chance to get there because we're going to read that little section of Scripture. John 21. And I think it's significant what happens in John 21, 15 through 17. Obviously, it's significant or else it wouldn't be in, in Scripture. 15 through 17 of John 21. They'd eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon. Simon the, Jesus has showed up. They're fishing. They go back to fishing, and Jesus shows up, and, and he's on the shore, and people say, there, there's, there's the Lord, and, and, they, and they start getting the boat back. But Peter, Peter jumps out and races in the water, and he races to him, and then and they have a meal together. They put And they have this big catch of fish, 158, I believe, a large fish. 
and then they're cooking fish and they're eating fish. And when they had eaten breakfast, 15 says of John 21, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. What a privilege. Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. Third time, he says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved, Scripture says. Because he said to him, Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? <laughs> He's grieved. Really? Why would that be a question? Because you denied me three times. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And, and Peter has this great, wonderful responsibility put back on him, even though he had disconnected himself from Christ, even though he had denied him. And I think it's significant. He denied Christ three times, and then he's asked three times, by Jesus, do you love me? And that's leading to Peter's restoration. And I don't know about you, but sometimes by my actions and my attitude, the words that come out of my mouth and the things that I do, I'm, I'm exclaiming loudly, not that I'm connected to Christ, not that I know him, but that I don't love him. Do we truly love him? We have to ask ourselves that. Do we love him enough to confess our sins? Do we love him enough to profess him and confess him before men? Do we love him enough to be willing to change, to repent? Do we love him enough to be willing to represent him, be his ambassador do we love him enough that when we realize and we hear the rooster that we break instead of have heart instead of having hard hearts do we love him enough so ask yourself that but first john 1:9 if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if what we confess our sins we break to the point where we confess the sins in order to confess sins we have to acknowledge sin have to acknowledge it. You know what? We, we have to take it a step further. We acknowledge it and then we accept that responsibility. Jesus told Peter, you know, Satan's going to sift you like, sift you like flat. You're going to be raked through the, over the coal. You are going to be used for evil. But Peter has three opportunities. Peter has three opportunities to profess Christ, and he makes the decision, and he owns up to it when he breaks, that he has done it. He's denied him. So as Christians, as we close and we ask this, we need to ask a question. Have you heard the rooster crow lately in your life? Are you hearing it now? And do you need to hear it? Because once you evaluate yourself and examine yourself and figure out, yeah, 
I'm in trouble. And you're hearing the roast, rooster crow. So, so ask yourself, have I heard it? What am I going to do about it? Have I heard it? Am I broken? Have I heard it? Am I in a state of weeping spiritually and mentally and emotionally? And if my heart is hard, let's pray that they'll be broken. That it'll be broken. If you're not a Christian, hopefully you have a rooster moment in a way. Hopefully you have this aha moment where you realize, wait a second, I'm disconnected from God. If Jesus were to come back, I wouldn't get to go to heaven. An aha moment. And if you're having that moment and you know what you need to do in order to get to heaven, in order to be connected to Christ, in order to be forgiven for your sins, you understand what you need to do, then do it. Repent of your sins. Turn around from them. Confess Christ before men. And be baptized and connected to Christ. If you're having that aha moment, let us know. If, if you're having an aha moment that tells you, I don't know exactly what to do, but I really want to learn, then, then let us know about that. and We'll be excited to study with you. But as we close and we offer this invitation, do you need to respond for any reason? And if so, let us know now as we stand and as we sing.